Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to the Extreme Rules Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hanflot and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened at the Extreme Rules Premium Live event over the weekend. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review Raw, but also SmackDown, NXT, the show formerly known as NXT 2 by oh! AW Dynamite, AW Rampage, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a very good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, they're joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review Extreme Rules and talk about the one match, the one thing that wasn't a match on this show. Yeah, there's loads to talk about, and obviously we will save, uh, I was going to say the best to last, we'll save the fiend to last, because there he was on this show, Triple H elected to. I didn't think this was very good. I thought this had tremendous highs that I genuinely look forward to praising in this review, but... Like, I don't, it's a victory lap I didn't want to take. This was the thing I had a gut feeling that Triple H might ruin. Uh, the one time a month. Previously, the one time a month where WWE was there to just be enjoyed for two and a half brisk mm. hours of entertainment where the wrestlers wrestled, but like, he was just so grateful for that, you know? Um, I kind of had a gut feeling this would be the thing he wouldn't be able to crack. There was no Sadie Masthetic. There was no Roman Reigns main event. There was SummerSlam and Clash had these things that he wasn't didn't have access to. So I was like, this is what... WWE kind of have to do once a month most of the time. Mm-hmm. Very limited bells and whistles. What have you got? And he really Triple H'd it. And I thought, <laughs> like, despite those highs, it like, made for a long, difficult night. I don't mind the whinges about the AW pay-per-view. Some hit more than others for me. Some feel longer than others. This felt... Like, pick what you felt was the longest AW pay-per-view that dragged, that was badly paced, badly structured or whatever. And I thought Extreme Rules was guilty of all of that. And there was only six matches. And that's inexcusable. At least Tony Khan, like idiotically puts like 14 on there and that's why it's badly paced and structured. <laughs> yeah. Six matches. How like how did he get that one so wrong? It was almost impressive how he managed to make time stand still at points throughout this three hours. Jesus Christ. I was looking at the match times after the fact and I could not believe my eyes. Karen Cross versus Drew McIntyre does not, how, that does not make sense. 10 minutes and 20 seconds that went. How? In, how? <laughs> like incredible stuff. I watched this in a sort of staggered way because I knew I had the weekend, the various points I get for myself to just watch it um, on like across the Sunday morning and then through to the Sunday night, and then maybe a bit of Monday morning, and that's how I actually watched it. And I just 
don't know how people did it live. I found watching it in installments was such a drag. And it's like, I'm watching this for like 40 minutes at a time and I'm bored, rigid. Mm. Um, so I just want to watch The Fiend. I want it unspoiled. <laughs> so I thought, right, there's two points in the show where I think he's going to reveal himself, either at the end of Drew Cross or just at the end in general. So I fast-forwarded to Drew versus Cross. And um, I must have found it like midway because Cross looked like really shattered and he was sweating. And it was selling the, you know, the, the, the rigors of war. And yet there's not much behind the, the strap shots. And I'm thinking, all right, it must have been going about 15, 18 minutes here. And it was like five minutes in. <laughs> like, well, as it, it transpired. Like so I was like, all right, let's watch the finish. And I'll watch the rest of the match later. Right, no, no fiend. So I fast forward to the fight pit, which I was earnestly interested in watching. The first one was great. And the match at Clash at the Castle was great. And I just thought, they've got this completely wrong. It's kind of boring. And again, 16 minutes. 16 minutes, 10 minutes. These matches weren't long, and yet mm, they felt yeah, excruciatingly yeah. long. And then I watched The Fiend, and then I went back, and I watched it in installments. I'm thinking, I'm literally sat here for half an hour watching telly. How can this be so tiring? I, I don't know how this happens, but... That's Triple H for you. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> certainly dragged in parts. And yet, I say this all the time, the, the lasting memory I often have is the last thing I saw. Mm. And I was absolutely dog. buzzing at the end of this <laughs> show because of what happened. But like you say, we'll get to that in due course. I won't really go through the nuts and bolts of all the matches because well, I can't be asked. It happened on Saturday and pre I presume most people will have watched it. Mm. Uh, so we'll just mainly sort of cliff notes the matches. Um, and it's ironic that we sat there saying, oh God, it's kind of tired and they've done this again because... They've done a match to open or with teams that we've seen a million times, it feels like. And yet, once again, they stole the show. I'm talking, of course, of the good old-fashioned Donnybrook match. Um, I'm sure that'll be the last time that I use an accent like that today. Um, <laughs> preview coming later. It was, of course, Imperium versus the Brawling Brutes. And yeah, they, they stole the show, didn't they? This is incredible. And I don't just mean in terms of the action, but yeah, incredible in terms of how now they could be like, you, you don't know in wrestling sometimes how much you're, like, overdoing something until, unfortunately, it's overdone. And we might reach that point with Seamus and Gunther, but we absolutely haven't yet. And for them to extend it out to the teams and it be as captivating as this was is a genuine achievement of both. And here, like, I'll praise him here, of both Triple H, the booker, and whoever was in charge of agent in this, and indeed the wrestlers themselves. Especially um, because, sorry to interrupt, especially because they literally had a one-on-one -on -one title match that went to a bit of a snazzy finish on, on SmackDown. So me and Sid did the preview, and we were both kind of wary of either no finish, which at least they delivered a finish, so that's important for, like, rebuilding people's faith, but no finish or something that would just make Saturday feel like the Brawling Brutes get the last win. This is the real quiz. Yeah. Done and dusted. None of that occurred. Like, all, again, all power to the way that Triple H has looked at a pair in here and has figured out the exact way to exploit it perfectly and the wrestlers going out there and of course doing what they do best Seamus that's never been permitted to do enough and Gunther looked like he never would under Vince McMahon and yet here we are just what like three months four months later um, just a spectacular um, bells and whistles six man but not in that way that the weapons and the, the stipulation itself felt like it was covering something up it was like an addition to what was already... You could do a straight six-man where they just all hit each other really hard, where Gunther and Sheamus build to their face-off, where Pete Dunne, as Butch, as this, like, platonic ideal of Butch and Pete Dunne, the bruiserweight, which he now is, runs around trying to bite guys' nose off and just, like, <laughs> constantly looking like he's just trying to start a car park fight. 
and Ridge Holland developing his power game while kind of, I don't want to compare him to Wardlow, but he's starting to show feats of athleticism hidden within matches like yeah. this that make you realise that he is developing in a way that an AEW wrestler would develop rather mm-hmm. than a WWE performance centre prospect. So you're seeing success there. We were high on Imperium when we were quite low on Gunther in 2.0, and we're getting the perfect version of that as well because the zip in the way they buzz around the ring in a match like this was sublime. Like, coming together for double teams and then splitting back apart just to get involved in some brawl. It was really... This is a boring take, I suppose, but it's not always assumed in wrestling. This was really well shot. It felt like... What was... There was an example recently, Sid, where we were... I don't assume that WWE is going to be well (laughs) shot. It was okay to miss stuff. There was a match recently we were talking about. It It was was the six-man on SmackDown two weeks ago. Was that what it was? Where it was like... Like Ricochet, like Drew McIntyre, the Mr. Claymore. Yeah. But we were talking about how the energy was so captivating that it was almost a feature and not a bug. It felt like that here as well. You were seeing chaotic spots going on and you could tell there was brawling going on, but it didn't feel like the wrestlers were having to hit pause waiting for their spot to come around again. It was breathless, which the rest of the card desperately needed. I think this came in. This is going to be a show about match times, this podcast, because it's a Triple H (laughs) <laughs> like B show premium live event. I think this came in at around 17 minutes and it fell half for that. And God, I wished I could have said that for anything else on this card. Love this. Yeah, I am in disbelief that this went longer than Drew versus Cross. Yeah. Almost twice as long, in fact. Jesus Christ. This is absolutely tremendous. The high point of the show. The only thing I truly, earnestly, anyway, enjoyed in a full blooded, let's effing go sort of way. Like the body shots between Seamus and Gunther. Like I watch wrestling to feel things. And if I'm not that emotionally invested, I want to be wowed. I want to be dazzled. I want the blood to be racing. I want to, like, feel like I've watched something spectacular or that my mind's been blown or... Two seconds, I need to sneeze. Oh, God, I love <laughs> I can feel it coming for about 30 seconds, just willing it over the line. Like, the f- finished a half of these frigging shows. <laughs> um, half of these matches. And the body shots were great. And there was even, like, over elements of acting. Dare I say they verged on a West Side Story War Games yeah. thing, and I still didn't care. Like, Gunther's such a genius that, like, he talks the good game about the sanctity of the mat and all the rest of it. And yet, in this heightened environment, he's still fantastic because he's such a genius talent. I'm so sick of heel finishes. I think AEW's working this thing at the minute where they keep putting it over and over and over, systematic cheating, systematic cheating, honour, honour, honour. I feel like they're doing something really bad and polluting the show with bad finishes so that there can be a refresh. I know the referee officiating, getting that tightened up um, isn't necessarily applied across everywhere. It just feels like a self-contained angle. I went well for a week. (laughs) (laughs) If you look at what Pac's been doing, and we'll get into that, goddammit, later on today. Oh, boy. It's uh, it's really getting me down. Even if it's got an ultimate purpose, and I'm not convinced that it does, it's still far too much. But if you establish a character with a certain code of conduct and they betray that self-imposed code of conduct because they've got a baby face that they just absolutely cannot put away. It actually makes sense that they would cheat. There's actually a bit of dramatic gravity when they do cheat. You don't want to see them cheat. Um, And they measured Gunther being a shortcut merchant in this match. Absolutely brilliantly. There was a bit as well. Amid all the carnage and all the great work and Imperium zipping about, which as Hanfield points out was great, there's a bit where they isolate Gunther and... Pete Dunne is, like, jumping over the top rope to, like, stamp on his head while he's getting his chest caved in with fists. And I'm thinking, 
don't go too much. You'll <laughs> injure him. It felt like this, <laughs> You'll hurt him. this had to end with a pinfall, didn't it? It felt like well, an absolute... This isn't going to end until somebody's head's been caved in and an ambulance has taken them away. Right? Yeah, it felt like an absolute gangland beatdown from the Brawling <laughs> Brutes when they had Gunther three-on-one by the ropes. Just electrifying, brutal stuff that even when it was like histrionic, I guess, in its storytelling and very acted, I was still bang into it. Yeah. This is the most verve I'll have. Apart from when I'm laughing. This is the most verve I'll have throughout the pod. Gala, Gallus and the, the cowboy wanker should be embarrassed at the state. Yeah, in a bar com- compared to this. this one, yeah. at least. Uh, and uh, I just love the bit where the shillelagh like exploded yeah. when someone is smashed over their back. Uh, it was followed, of course, by the Extreme Rules match for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Oh boy, <laughs> Liv Morgan against Ronda Rousey. You want to take this? Sage? Oh my god, it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Fundamentally, the storytelling was so stupid. The baby face, like there's a, there's a heel in here who takes a weapon, albeit in an Extreme Rules match, takes a weapon off the baby face and says, you're a weakling for needing that. I don't. My body itself is a weapon. That's like a badass bit of character work. Mm. That, In fact, I watched a few years ago now, Adam Cole versus Alistair Black at TakeOver Philly, the exact same um, crux Yes, I think Alistair did use a weapon in the end, but that was only done to put over the fact of, right, I kind of have to, because this great heel I'm working against is so great that I kind of need to betray my code just to... move onto the chairs rather than using a weapon. Yeah, yeah, just to stay in the fight sort of thing. And yes, they did subvert, I guess, but it didn't seem like at any point Ronda started using the pipe with which she spanked (laughs) Morgan because she was in trouble and needed to resort to it. It just felt like a bit more fun for her. It didn't feel like oh, I'm in trouble here if I don't resort to weapons and expose myself as a heel hypocrite. It was just like, oh, there's one line about, I'll just do it. Liv Morgan's chair shots were terrible. Some of the submission work here was atrocious. Um, the finish, when Liv Morgan was smiling as if to indicate that, oh, I like the pain or I'm going to a dark place and I enjoy it, was risible. I was laughing, not for the first time. Like, I'm laughing at some of the creative choices and yet Triple H is says book and genius. <laughs> no, he isn't. The crowd, in fact, and during another match, and I can't wait to get to it, were laughing as well. This was uh, just... A weird hush, I think you find, fell over the crowd. Yeah, I think it did. <laughs> this was funny. An inadvertently funny pro wrestling match and a fitting end to a disastrous reign that... People need to talk about more. They won't because they are besotted with the initials of the promotion that um, promoted it. But this should be considered a really stark sign that Triple H is fairly rubbish at booking baby faces. And Liv Morgan had a really bad night. And I was just unconvinced at the idea of, I'm not going to give her the satisfaction of letting her choke me out and beat me one-on-one. It's like, you've been a complete geek throughout this entire thing. Don't dare patronize me with this. At least, uh, at least Ronda Rousey's a heel now again. Is she? Because well, <laughs> she got booed, but I kind of felt a little bit like fans were booing what they witnessed as much as any. We'll see. We'll see how like Rousey develops this. I'm not sure what. I can't figure out what Ronda Rousey still brings. She has better nights than this. She has had better nights than this this year, but not many. And I don't know quite if she fully is as locked into whatever character she's played. Oddly, right, considering who's in charge now. At least you kind of always knew who Ronda Rousey was in that original run when she was a babyface. And then when she turned, um, there was a certain consistency to the Ronda Rousey character that has been missing like for the duration of this run. And that has been folded into this Liv Morgan title reign that has been badly booked, badly managed, like exclusively by Triple H from SummerSlam onwards. 
whole thing's been rubbish. Um, I thought, I didn't even get this match. So I thought in the first couple of minutes, they were kind of acknowledging it without saying it out loud. Yeah, Liv Morgan's rubbish. But what she will do is take an absolute kick in, a total shellacking yes. with a bunch of weapons. So the, what the story is going to be is Ronda Rousey is going to absolutely batter her. And then when she loses, it's wrestling's got that funny way about it where you're going to, you've just witnessed somebody take an absolute beating that, yes, she's lost, but she comes out with some respect. And then as we kind of suggested, maybe she goes away for a bit. But the memory is she like, like, like fell on her sword in the end. Mm. She, she couldn't take her, but like, wow, you have witnessed somebody take an absolute beating. And then it just stopped being that. So we had about two or three minutes of that of Liv Morgan taking a kick in. And then, well, things just turned around. And as Cedric points out, Ronda was like, oh, I'll use a weapon now. Like, for this reason, rather than just because she was beating her and beating her to, to make a point, to mm. teach her a lesson. And that's just carried on and on. And everything was badly executed. And a lot of things were badly timed. And they got lost out there. There was a spot that was just... We all, like I was watching live, and there was just this sort of collective humiliation on behalf of the wrestlers. You know, when the chair fell out of the post. Oh, I forgot like, about this. Inexcusable lack of instincts from both, like, wrestler and somebody that was deemed good enough at this to be a WrestleMania main event in Ronda Rousey. So, for anybody that hasn't watched, if you have sort of brought this up into chunks, they um, do the thing where the chair gets wedged in between the top and the middle turnbuckle, and then it's left there for a bit, and then the, ref the wrestlers negotiate a spot in which someone's head gets thrown into it. The chair... Yeah, Liv was going to do that thing where she, like, the backstab her and then kicks her into it, yeah. Pushes her into it. The chair fell out before they'd even set up that spot. But then they go to set up the spot, right? And then they, that kind of goes a bit wrong. And it, then you think, well, you know what? That could have... Uh, never mind, because the chair isn't there anyway. So do something else. Like, counter into something else. Nobody cares now at this point. That's lost. They're going to do it anyway. They just <laughs> did it. So at this point, like, Rousey's got to hit the post and one of them dreadful announcer trying to cover up for it moments where, like, and that would have been even worse if the chair was there. Jesus Christ. Like, who put that line in one of those commentators' heads? Because I'm sure they wouldn't want it to sacrifice the credibility to say it. Like, just a nightmarish moment in a series of them in a match. The Morgan chair shots were terrible. Neither of them wanted to swing. The, like, Ronda swung it pretty hard at first. But, like, neither of them really wanted to swing a baseball bat because, again, baseball bats are really tricky in wrestling. That Even if it's hard rubber, it still hurts. That will absolutely finish you. Sting made a point of that. Jericho tends to use Floyd for a finish. So, like, we know what bats are. Oh, really, really terrible. And then there was an online, uh, like, a digital exclusive with Liv Morgan hanging in the bowels of the building, emerging from the shadows. So immediately everybody has torn it clean off, thinking that she's going to be the first of the Wien Game 6. Oh, my God. Was the online reaction to Absolutely. It? Oh, my God. Was the incel reaction. <laughs> Sorry, yes, <laughs> quite right. And the smiling thing seems to be part of that as well. Well, Sage, if there was a, if there was hypothetically like a Batman villain that one would compare Liv Morgan to as she passed out, can you think of one? Um, I think it would... <sighs> The Joker, baby. <laughs> One more thing on that, right? It's even more levels of bad, the spot where the, the chair slips out and they still do it. Because the idea is that Ronda Rousey is flailing, pretending that the chair's still there because that's the script. That's the way the match has been plotted. So she has to still do this. She doesn't. What she should do is right reverse this or do something else. She has to flail and sell the prospect of her face colliding with this chair, which has subsequently slipped from where it was stationed and fallen out the ring. And all that did for me was say, right, the instincts are terrible, and two, weapons excess in pro wrestling has spiraled so out of control now that I've seen one million times a wrestler grab someone by the back of the head and smash their face against the turnbuckle because even with the padding, that's still going to hurt. So she should still be selling 
right? But it still doesn't work. Mm. Yeah. They could have said, you know, the turnbuckle still bloody hurts. She doesn't want to get her face put into that. But because so much of the purity of pro wrestling has been lost, it's both kinds of wrong all at the same time. They could have said she could catapult her so hard that her shoulder could crack against the metal post and how mm. much would that hurt? The turnbuckle itself still hurts. But because the excess has ruined wrestling and that's why the show is such a terrible concept to begin with because it's just nonsense and excess all over the place. That's something that could have theoretically worked still. Didn't work because these things have been no-sold as things. It's just, honestly, all kinds of crap. All right, let's move on to the Battle of the Goliaths. I'm talking, of course, of the Miz and Gritty. <laughs> I love this. Gritty's a popper name. Gritty's, Gritty's the top like, you, you two like Gritty. Well, he's like viral mascot, but I'm not going wild for Gritty or anything. I but am. Like he him. loves Gritty. He's Absolutely a huge pep. Oh, my God. When uh, Gritty popped up on my screen, I forgot. I didn't even think. Uh, Philly, obviously, uh, Paul Heyman, extreme. Uh, and he's, uh, uh, how do we miss this on a preview? Capital City goofball adjacent, isn't he, Gritty? Like, yeah. Just enough wacky stuff thrown on top of one another to make a mascot that other people beyond the sport take an interest in for a second. Oh, I didn't care for any of this. Because Dexter Loomis was in it. I really hate it. He's got a lot of the Dexter Loomis about him. He's a creepy bastard. Can we do them all? Yeah, yeah. So like obviously the payoff is and everybody could see straight away it's not it's not gritty in the um outfit. The Miz went to this building to find Triple H Mm -hmm. to complain of what happened on Raw and make sure that his birthday celebrations on Raw weren't going to be interrupted by Dexter Loomis. And acknowledged in the process of this that that Saturday was his actual birthday, but Monday is a celebration. So the Miz on his actual birthday, <laughs> travelled alone to Philadelphia, rather than just spending his time with his family. It's very nice, that. To make it clear that, like, well, Monday's celebration. Don't make this an character thing, Wilbur, come on. I'm, like, I'm into it. I'll defend this. Like, said, like, I need the raw celebration. The traditional, as we all know, big party, you have three days after your birthday. That's how we always do it. That's how birthdays have always worked. Like, that's got to be right, and Dexter Lemus can't be there. Just text Triple H if you wanted. You just text him. Now, I'm going to go to Philadelphia. Your actual birthday. With your family. No, I'm, I want to go and I want to smash a mascot's head in because I think it's Dexter Lemus. The one thing I liked about this whole deal, I thought it was quite funny when Gritty briefly put the boots to the Miz. Like, he just laid in a couple of swift kicks. Because mascots are funny. Like, the, the, the act of a mascot getting in a fight, you know, when two mascots actually fight, that's always oh, quite entertaining. Yeah. Like, Swanny the Swan or whatever, like, swinging, <laughs> swinging wings. That was all right. Will Bourne's looking at me. Like, <laughs> the rest was I, absolutely, like, I don't think, famous last words, I might end up loving it. I don't think anything... Like, a Miz birthday party with Dexter Lumis is the most WWE way to get to the point of this in match. I don't think this is fixable. Oh, I don't care about the match. Well, Dexter Lumis is in it, so... Yeah. <laughs> it's beyond saving this program. Yeah, I've got no thoughts on this. So it's not even... I'm not even on the hook of... Does he just want to torture the Miz? Or is that something else to the story? There isn't. <laughs> they just think the uh, the serial killer baby face is a funny enough oxymoron that will just do it. I just think it's a knob. Yeah. Who, a dangerous theory. knob who needs to be jailed. Not from NXT UK this time. <laughs> Gargano versus Theory. Roman Reigns on Monday Night Raw. Bray Wyatt potentially being there. And this is still one of the things I'm most looking forward to. I genuinely am. I love this story. But like I say, I couldn't care less when it comes to the actual match. But yeah, I, I'm still into the Dexter Loomis stuff. And I like the fact that his only friend is the Philadelphia Flyers mascot, who's... A weird guy online. If you if you've seen him on Twitter, I saw this when John Oliver did a thing about him, and he's just like, like not just like, oh, I hope my team beats your team on Saturday. He was like, I'm gonna kill 
other mascot. And I was like, that, yeah, he's the Dexter Loomis of... Um, like fiend's mind of mascots. Exactly. Uh, right, let's talk uh, Karrion Cross versus Drew McIntyre. Oh, oh boy. Strat matches suck. This one, like you say, went 10 minutes and 20 seconds, according mm. to Wikipedia. Austin Vega didn't, so... Yeah. Well, yeah, for the most, I think, modern day. Karrion Cross sucks. Yeah, and... Uh, I really got my wind. I did every night of that guy. Really get you up speed working WWE house style. Savio, hell of a worker. Hell of a, I was blowing out my ass those first few weeks. Hell of a worker. <laughs> Let me tell you, nobody believed Savio Vega could go. <laughs> oh, Steve, he's all right. Uh, so, <laughs> but yes. Job. So, yeah, good cardio. But David Bay. Uh, <laughs> carrying across defeated Drew McIntyre via pepper spray, basically. I'm not joking, right? I told you at the start of this podcast, my lived-in experience of watching the show. Got up, set the alarm on a bloody Sunday for this, even though I could have just gutted it out um, on the Sunday night slash Monday morning because I wanted to get involved in Fiend discourse. Of course, <laughs> of course I did. So I thought, right, okay, I will get up at six. Kids will probably be up at about seven. I'll identify when Fiend will be here. And I picked the two moments where it was probably conceivable because I thought it, was, it might do a program with Drew. As it happens, they did the the copyright logo trick at the end. Oh God, are we still on the air? Oh my God, it's so realistic, guys. My God, it's on my gag. Anyway, so he, Triple H loves the lower third. He loves he it. Absolutely he absolutely loves he it. Brought that from NXT. Yeah. yeah, he loves it, man. So I fast forward first. Uh, oh, it's a shame to miss this, but I can catch up on the six man. Um, what's next? Okay, right. Okay, right. It's yeah, the fiend. Team, second match, fiend. Great. And then I go right. It looks like oh, it looks like near the finish now. Because Karrion Cross is absolutely blown out his arse. He is hitting Drew McIntyre with the weakest strap shots I've ever seen. He's not registering them. He's not making use of that gorgeous, good snap. That's the whole point of a strap match. It's meant to sound horrible. We were talking about the bat. There are certain other weapons in wrestling that just don't work. Because with it being wrestling, this stupid, wonderful, fake bollocks at its best. Um, where a really thin, compressed sawdust table, to this day, is still the weapon that's going to get the biggest pop, even though I'd quite like the fall-through one, just to see what it feels like. Yeah, same. I'd, yeah, I'd like the I should once. not want to do that with a weapon. I shouldn't want to do that. I don't mm. want a chair shot to the head. I don't want to land on barbed wire. Like, but I want to fall on a table. I just want to know what it feels like. I always have, always will. And loads of that, like, gymnastic padding below it. Like, a real cushion underneath, but the table breaking now itself. I want, to t- I want to take it in the ring. In the just, ring, just so a like on a fairly hard like, yeah, yeah. surface as well. I've always wanted to do Ali it. Ali Boy's table match and, d- and a relaunch WCPW. Is that, you're telling me that's a possibility? Yeah. 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 I'll do the first half. The table's match. Carry on. So, <laughs> I, I don't know where I'm going with this. Right, right. But the reason why the table works is because it's got a very pleasing, just a, a visceral feeling it awakens in you when someone goes splat. It's like, that didn't really hurt them that much, I don't think. But it's just... Yeah, it's great. This a chair's got that oh, sound to it as well. A strap, like lashed correctly, sounds amazing. We always talk about it. The Wardlow thing in the MGF when he just makes it sound like the most painful thing you could ever experience, and he registered so well with the, the hand movement, no facial expression, just I'm going to hurt you. Lean back. Boom, it's like, ah, oh, it looks like it knocks. Bianca Belair's hair? Bianca Belair's hair. All timer against Sasha Banks, gash across her chest yeah. at the perfect moment. Like a kill shot. That's the, the perfect shortcut with which to obscure that Karrion Cross 
isn't particularly good. He's not dynamic. He doesn't move right. He's not fluid. He's not crisp. He's not explosive. He's he's doesn't have the he doesn't have enough presence to make a methodical match compelling or gripping. Um, that a lot of older vets, when their legs have gone, can still do. Like Karen Cross, just is not good. He isn't. And for ten minutes, that felt like twenty five. He showed this. I thought honestly, when I fast forwarded without much concept of time, so I was just like, right, get through. Are they on the screen? Yes. Right, okay, that's about to be about it. I thought they'd been in there for like 20 minutes because he was just putting nothing behind these strap shots on Drew. Nothing whatsoever. And then I want, when I watched the whole match back, I was astonished. How do you look like that? Like, how are you putting that little behind a shortcut? Eight minutes, seven minutes into a match, you look knackered. Not in a good selling the, the toils of war. Like, you don't have it in you to really pretend and make it seem like you're hurting someone. The finish was terrible. Why did it take a 10 minutes? Just do it straight away. You, you, there are various points. We're just probably thinking, right, not much is happening here, so I can get away with just standing here and doing nothing. But on a logical thing, Drew McIntyre could have beat him in three minutes. There were near falls. It felt like there were ages to get for it. It was just so dull. So dull. Easiest finish you've ever seen in your life. They didn't put any conviction behind carrying Cross getting over. Um, it was softly, softly booking. And I was just bored rigid by this. I actually went through and watched the whole thing again just to see if there was some major stunt or if they just brutalized each other to get to that point, even in a short space of time. And I got literally nothing out of this other than this almost impressive sensation of time standing still. Yeah, I was baffled by this match. From the moment Karen Cross was like, not putting the strap on. I was like, what? Yeah. What's this as a strategy? I know it was still like, oh, I can beat you up a bit beforehand, but like, you're going into a strap match anyway, so it's going to happen. And uh, yeah, the finish. Well, let's get your thoughts on it because it was, it was, and it was such an obvious winner of this match anyway, as mm. Sid sort of alluded to. Because on the on the one hand, it was like very nice versus Babel um, with the Captain Cross and Scott. Of course, it was. <laughs> I am. Um, I'm inclined not to just like dig out Karen Cross here, and I want to save some criticism for Drew McIntyre. I had a feeling watching this match. I know he's going to say it. Sorry. I, I don't know if this is the thing. You are. I think you tweeted it. Uh, I've, I've already forgotten I was live tweeting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I, the What's this? Drew McIntyre doing like a, trying to do like a Brock Lesnar growl. Oh, God. As if like he wasn't like with his arm around Tyson Fury's shoulder, like in Cozy Joe's at the end of Clash at the Castle. Like an absolute just. And I think this was part of it, right? I think Drew McIntyre might be at fault for some of this because this was everything the Tommaso Ciampa in your house match wasn't. Me and Sid were talking about this on Friday. How, that amazing, match, uh, how amazing was Tommaso Ciampa in hindsight in that in your house match? Because we came away, we were like, right, Cross has got this like clear, this energy in this presentation, but none of us are particularly high on his work. So how's this, how's this going to go? No crowds, especially. And then Ciampa just gives him his body and it's incredible. <laughs> right, all right, yeah, he's the real deal. And then you see the Keith Lee main event. No, he's not. Done. Absolutely done. Like, I'm over this guy. I am not convinced that Drew McIntyre was best pleased is like we're all mapping out this idea that like drew can afford defeat after defeat because they're going somewhere with this right a losing streak can generate something brand new a heel turn yeah, he's gonna turn heel or should at least but is he happy with that because he wasn't there for carrying cross here this finish like this sort of feels like he campaigned a bit for the finish to be like like pepper spray after 10 minutes is absurd as Cedric points out it's absolutely ridiculous that she wouldn't just do that straight away it's not creative it's not thoughtful so it feels like one of them things where like wrestlers backstage especially like, in a match with no disqualification yeah like you're not you're not beating me with your finish 
It's like you have to wait for your opportunity in a normal sanctioned match with rules where there's a ref who can like penalize you for doing something like this. It's a no DQ match and she could have done it immediately. Do you think, it's just popped into my head this, do you think the original finish this match, let's say three weeks ago, was fireball? And they went, well, we can't do that again. Um, Yeah, I, maybe. I wondered about the, like, just, or if not fireball, some other kind of Dierk yeah. stuff that they've backtracked from because it was kind of so rubbish. I was certain it was going to be cross jacket because of the strap. Like, he's yeah. been, it's a weapon that you use to beat a guy down and then it's a version of his finish. So Drew is protected in inverted commas because it's like, well, a strap-assisted version. He's used a weapon, as such, has no DQ. I honestly felt like I was watching a guy that was feeling like he's not seeing this, like the wood for the trees with how many matches he's losing. Again, just totally my speculation. The way Drew was working it, he wasn't selling particularly much. Humiliating. I'm talking Cena and Orton in the Rumble, humiliating boo-year spot where nobody booed or yeared. Like, they're hitting each other with a strap turn-taking. This was like Gunther Sheamus with a... In big leather belt, and nobody cares. Nobody's booing, nobody's cheering. Awful, awful stuff. Um, like the opposite of what Karen Cross needed. Like, yeah, Jeff Hardy beating him in a minute was kind of a killer, but this wasn't much better. I was so bored during this match. And like you say, this is a match that should be like, oh, God. I was thinking, oh, yeah, it's going to be a nightmare to get all those twists out of that strap at the end. That was my main thing. <laughs> like when there's kinks in a garden yeah, pose. Oh, bloody hell. It's going to be there for ages. Me and Sedge called the big go-home angle on SmackDown as well. Like, Drew loves loves uh, real shoot marks on his body, doesn't he? He's banging to that. <laughs> Hit me eight times. Go again. Do you think it's fake, do you? Yeah. You think it's fake, do you? <laughs> it looks bloody real to me. <laughs> if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
Uh, I think we should have a, what's the phrase? Is it a moratorium? Yes. Yeah. A wrestling moratorium on ladder matches. Christ, I, yeah. uh, and I sense you two will probably agree with me because next we had uh, the ladder match for the Raw Women's Championship. I want to give a, a compliment at the beginning because I went into this match going, Bailey's got to win. Bailey has to win. Uh, I know it's weird because they've sort of gone, well, you know what that's going to look like because you already saw it on Monday Night Raw. But I was very much uh, just saying, well, you know, Bianca can, uh, can afford the loss. And I, I, wrote, I didn't write down many notes on my phone when I was watching this. I wrote down specifically three things. Uh, one was just so I remembered the, the uh, gritty bit, just in case I forgot to mention it in my notes. Uh, and the other word, the other one uh, is about the fight pit, which we'll get to. But I also just wrote down, Bianca is a freak because her feats of athleticism know no bounds. And she, her amazing efforts won me over on her winning uh, in this match. But like you, like we've, we've talked about outside of the uh, studio, ladder matches are so done. I think there was, yes, I agree. I think there was more wrong with this than it just being a ladder match problem, and I understand why. Like, I'm a huge fan of both of these, and I like, understand why I think people have been looking to the ladder. The stipulation is the reason why a lot of this didn't work. There is a big picture... Um, w that WWE can claim here, which is that they are still promoting Bianca Belair very effectively. Like the last five minutes in particular, you've taken away her friend, so we know full well she's going to do this. She's got to do it on her own, and they explore that even more so by having her hit a finisher on two people at yeah. once. Like well, I was like going, "Where's Candice yeah, from?" Like anyway. superhuman feats of strength and all this sort of stuff. Well, that's a good plot hole. Like that's a genuinely good plot hole. But like superhuman feats of strength and can. Uh, dig out victory from the jaws of defeat. This is good. This is good baby booking in the face of like lots of rubbish baby booking on the card. You've got to do it somewhere, and Bianca Belair is as good a person as any to just make indestructible. The person that takes the title off her has got to be theoretically as good as her or better, which is how this should feel in the simulation of a competition. So nothing fundamentally wrong in that, but it is why I argue she should wrestle less on television. Yes. Because you need to see her going, like the grind with the rank and file kind of exposes that as a bit of a sham, so that when she does something cool on a pay-per-view, it doesn't feel anywhere near as special as it should. I didn't think this match was all that good. Um, but I've seen, like, comments about Bailey potentially having rust. She, or, like, maybe being nervous on her injuries or whatever. I'm not so sure I agree with that, because she physically put herself through the ring, and there was, but, like, a lot of it was stupid. I think she would... That, that elbow that spot elbow was, was so stupid. stupid. The construction took ages... The payoff wasn't worth it. Like ladders, this often happens in ladder matches. Wrestlers have said it. You sometimes don't get the noise that you wanted, and thus, why are we doing this to each other if you don't even get the, the Sidgwick's point again? The table, the chair, two great examples of ah, if you're going to take a bit of pain, you're going to get noise, you're going to get oohs and ahs. There wasn't half the oohs and ahs for the like the sort of physical turmoil they were putting themselves through. I just don't think this was a particularly well put together match. And these two, for how hard they worked, and they did work hard at this. Um, a ladder can be uncooperative, and it was here multiple times. The story hasn't been good enough, and this is when that catches up with you. Mm-hmm. I've like loved them both, especially want this comeback to go well for Bailey, and I've been critical of the story for reasons like this because you get to the match on the night and the heat just isn't there. The fans, if this story had been as well told as some people would have you believe, just because Damage Control are all over Raw, they'd have been with every single bump they'd been with every single weapon shot there was no one in my opinion nowhere near enough going for the belt after the first couple of minutes this is another like modern ladder match problem if i think wrestlers or agents fool you into thinking oh, it is all about the belt because they do a few quick chases at the start and then that disappears for 10 minutes I, I i can't abide by that in ladder matches it should be put somebody down ideally as far away from the belt as possible and then go for it and they just forget wrestlers forget for 10 minutes and then the commentators have to tell you maybe they just want to do more damage to be yeah. sure and you're not believing it 
I, don't, I, I was I thought this was a massive massive under delivery and I think the fault is at the door of a lot of people this failed for a number of reasons not least because the action just wasn't that hot the like, last ladder match that I genuinely enjoyed and bought as relatively realistic as wrestling at the end of the day was that one in NXT with all like with the street profits and bloody what's his name that Jackson Riker who showed there up there were so many Bad ladder matches now that make you, and it's never that like you don't want to be critical of the wrestlers because they're clearly in a lot of pain going through these things. But it reminds you of how much of an art there is to a good one because you're just not seeing them. And I like the answer is for them to go away for a very, very long time. But Money in the Bank once a year was hot as balls. Like they like there was like six or eight guys in there, and they would assemble year after year these classics, and they just seems they just feel so artless. And that's both sides as well. I've not got much praise for the AW ones either. Mm. So there is a stipulation problem, but this wasn't great. No, there's two versions of a great ladder match. Something that's spectacular, violent, risky, that exists to blow your mind. Or there's something really attritional and personal and bittered. And this was neither. This was kind of just there. The It just felt ugly in the worst possible ways, wherein... The bums just didn't pay off because there wasn't a sound. There was always that indecision on the part of the viewer, certainly me, where you're thinking, oh, who hurt, who got hurt there? Mm. Or did both people get hurt there? And if you didn't calculate the risk, you think the rest, you think less of the wrestler like Bailey, then it was quite plodding at times. Finish looked great. Like, Bailey's teeth looked like they got chipped at the very least. <laughs> that looked a bit like, oh, she... Can go, she's down for the count. That is a good way in time to climb and win. But uh, the last great ladder match singles I saw was Sammy and Cody because he got the best of the both worlds. Mm. Felt really competitive. Felt like, oh, hey, I'm the guy who's been putting you over since day one of this company, working with you, appearing on your vlogs, talking you up in the media. Come on, let's have a scrap then. Let's have a, <laughs> let's have a come here. If you're all ready for this spot, because you're taking it after tonight, prove it. And Cody and Sammy did that. And they had that spectacular, one of the best ladder spots you'll ever see. This was neither of those things, and you need at least one of them. Um, this is just fine. I didn't know who was hurt on half the spots. I kind of felt sorry for them for having to work it, given what we know Edge has said about ladder matches. Look, John Moxley will bleed in every match. <laughs> he will do the spot in the Lance Archer match where the chairs go back to back, and you've just got the tiny bit of surface area. He will puncture himself with barbed wire. He will put those wooden like skewers in his head, and he won't do a ladder match. John Moxley hates ladder matches. That feels wrong because he loves all of the violence. One of his catchphrases is beautiful, glorious wrestling violence, and he had to, uh, under duress, do that six-man ladder match mm-hmm. where Paige won the, became the mm-hmm. Joker. The what? The Joker, baby. <laughs> Sorry, where are my manners? Um, if John Moxley hates doing them, and Edge is stipulated, I'm not doing one when I come back. Why just do them when half of them are either outright bland? You can't make this match bland, but you have. Uh, let's move on to the... Sorry, I- there was one more thing as well, just on indulgence, because there was loads on this pay-per-view. Um, there was a really cool spot that this was the entire wrong match for. You see, Bailey was like, looked like she was selling her knee, and my clothes was like, oh, maybe she's re-injured it. Yeah. And then she pulls like a metal, a jagged bit of a brace yeah. out. That would have been such a... You've got like 50 ladders around you. Why there? What a useless thing that is now. Is like, so she might pull it out again, right, but the shock's gone. Imagine if there's a match where there were rules and a referee goes down and she spies an opportunity. And a good like, story beforehand. This bit, <laughs> and this bit of... Uh, yeah, and, but I just thought, how wasteful. How like, why are we going to... Uh, 
additional weapons that you don't see regularly. A sharp bit of jagged metal from a knee brace is new, but there's 50 ladders, including a broken one it's that you can swing. even a foreign object as well. It becomes a foreign object in the moment. Yeah. Like, no referee, if you want to be a nerd about it, and I love being a nerd, it's like no referee would say, oh, oh you can't have that on you. Yeah. Mm. It's like, well, you need it for your... Uh-huh. For your oh, it's, it really inspired, and now it's, now it's dead. It made me think of the uh, was it Silent Night, Bloody Night, where they were like, oh, what's in this package? Oh, my God, it's something with barbed wire on it, underneath a barbed wire Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's right there, so why would you... Swinging in the air. Yeah. Oh, I wonder what I'm watching. That's, that's my Christmas viewing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, right, then we got the I Quit match. Full disclosure, Sige. I text Hamlet. Uh, I was uh, best man at a wedding on, on Saturday, so I was catching up on this on Sunday. Did some karaoke as well, weren't you? A little bit, yeah. Uh, that'll never uh, see the light day. Um, <laughs> and, uh, or maybe the what, culture Christmas party. Yeah, probably. You got uh, a tough act to follow after me and Sige smashed it last year. Yeah, we did. <laughs> it was sensational. I, I got too giddy at the Christmas party, so by the time we got to karaoke, I think my hangover already started kicking in. I was like, I've got a headache, what's going <laughs> on? Um, but, so I texted him to say, like, oh, you know, how long's the show? Because I was a busy Sunday, I'm trying to catch up, blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking, I'm looking at windows, probably like you, at where I can catch up. And I'm watching, he was like, yeah, the, show, the show's like three hours, but it feels long. I'm looking at the clock going, wait a second, right, we've got two matches left. There's like an hour and a bit still to go. The fight pit's not going half an hour because it's a fight pit. I doubt the Bray thing's going to go more than five, ten minutes. And this match started, and I was like, bloody hell. So I double-speeded this until the last five minutes, and that's probably the best way I could have enjoyed it. You should go back for an accurate reflection in the <laughs> review and watch all of it on Never. normal time. No, I'll watch the last five minutes again because I, I loved that. But I've... I've, I've Men in Black memory wiped the first 25 minutes from this match because it was a 13-minute I quit match where you sort of knew only one guy can win this. Right. I level with you, okay? I was a little bit worried when the Pepper H era started that was going to be punishingly capital G good and F for functional. and You couldn't take the piss out of it. And if you said, you know what, it's not that exciting. It's fundamentally good, I guess, but not that exciting. And he's going to look like the biggest stick in the mud arsehole and cynic (laughs) and just be accused of bias. You might fairly accuse me of bias here because I was really worried that I just wasn't going to be funny anymore. Um, I've got a kingdom. Shame me for this. I just love laughing at it. I love laughing at wrestling when it tries to be something really self-important and and sincere and gritty and earnest and intense. And I just think that's the worst kind of storytelling for me. I've got a gimp mask with pins (laughs) sticking out of it. Oh, yeah. forgot yeah. about that. And I had to check this with Hamlet because when you're a little bit cynical, as I still am to this product, because I think it's way worse than people are, not just Hamlet, but for my personal taste, I just think, how good could it possibly be? But anyway, I digress. And I had to check with Hamlet, like, look, maybe my predisposed feelings on this kind of storytelling are informing, I might be hearing things, basically. Were there smattering of laughs in the crowd <laughs> yeah. when the microphone was pointed to the respective faces of Edge and Finn Balor when they were not saying, no, nah, don't quit. I don't know what that is. <laughs> but were the audience kind of laughing when the audience, uh, when, sorry, when the microphone was plucked in the face of the wrestlers and they're going, no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> oh, sh- no, I would never quit. And the point was just like, ah. There was a pop in the Wilborn House, I can tell you, when he said, I, I don't quit. <laughs> oh. 
So they were Imagine gen- going, I quit, and then, no, no, I was going to do it in an opposite land bit. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. no. I quit. Oh, Reverie, nad. <laughs> oh, he got me. So basically, if you haven't seen this match, and there's still listeners who just don't, it was basically the most plodding, methodical, didn't even look that violent, Triple H in 2003 pace, where they were just doing a move. It was, like, it was like a last man standing version of an I Quit match with the worst acting you've ever seen, a completely dull, nothing happening pace, and just genuinely, hilariously bad attempts to sell the tiles of war. <laughs> oh my God, I'm in pain. And they were laughing at it, right? I, in my continued crusade, right? I know that people hate this product. That is hemorrhage viewers at a far more drastic rate until the Triple H era inexplicably. But from 2015 onwards, this was cratering viewers, this product, at a more steeper rate, or more steep rate, than wider television trends. And the pulse of it was, this sucks. It's my job, I think, as a content producer, analyst, whatever, not a journalist, to um, put it on the... Like, you know when people have sat on the tip of my tongue and then someone puts an insight across that says, oh, now that you put it that way, yes, yes, I agree. I want to be the person who puts it that way for people. That's the that's what I task myself in a job. And one way that I try and put across, this is why WWE is so staggeringly bad, right, is it's any other wrestling promotion, right, in the world. Remember, and there's millions of programs they've done over the years, where imagine AJ Styles and Ricochet if they ever did it in New Japan. It would be amazing if they did it in PWG, even with AJ a little bit slower and older. It would be amazing. They've got no right to put a program in place between AJ Styles and Ricochet. I think it was 2019, maybe. And it was like, this is Gentleman's 3 special, painfully dull, slowing it down because they think you're thick marks. I've already forgotten it. Exactly, which is another problem. US title thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Any other promotion would nail this and it would be really exciting and fun. This is how WWE is so bad. And I miss it being a little bit bad because it's fun to mock, if I'm being honest. How can you put, knowing what we know of Edge in the late 2000s, knowing what we know of Prince Devitt in the early 2010s, right? How can you manufacture a scenario where you put those two performers in a setting, in a company with more money than any wrestling company has ever had ever, and people are literally in the stands, those who aren't just bored stiff, there are smatterings of laughter at what these two people are doing. So enchanted by how dull, intense, and silly this was, because it just proved me right. But have looked like the finish, so we'll go to the finish. Yeah, I, I was going to say, this match was a sort of microcosm of my entire experience of Extreme Rules, because, you know, you're talking about the show with people, and they're like, Ugh, don't even, I didn't get it, you know, it's not really for me. But I go, yeah, but the last five minutes are like, and, and when we eventually come to talk about this, maybe at like the end of the year, and we're running through premium live events or big moments or whatever... If someone says Extreme Rules 2022 to me, all I'm going to think is, oh, Bray Wyatt came back and that was awesome. And a bit like, if you say, oh, what happened in the I Quit match? I'll be like, oh, the last five minutes were awesome. Neglecting the fact that large parts of this, I will never go back and watch ever again. That is a great way of putting it and articulates why I am never quite as down on WWE being just about moments. 
And I understand how that can have like a toxic influence on booking and on programs, on, you know, things that you're enjoying that then Vincent Mann so often was just, and I fancy this moment right now, so having it, go fuck yourself. Like I, like, I fundamentally was probably, like wrestling got under my skin probably as a result of moments, as I imagine it does a lot of young fans because it's just stuff that sticks with you immediately. That like you just want to rewatch over and over again, even if you're not rewatching the match. We've I mean, instead of often said like we feel so fortunate that like there was Hogan Warrior and bright colours and then Bret Hart to educate us. Like not everybody gets that, and I think like Vince Mann realised people had the misses there in the Continental Champion. Yeah, and that's how you get wrestling Twitter. Yeah, that's how you get <laughs> that's how you get wrestling Twitter and Vince Mann making billions on somehow managing to make like to sell a TikTok version of WWE. Yeah. You know, like just selling SmackDown for a billion because it's like well. We can like condense this into a one minute video package and networks love that because then they can sell it and you know, whatever. This last five minutes was still what I believe that they can do very, very well. What helps is that it does it doesn't matter and it can't matter because he's useless. It doesn't matter how rubbish Dominic Mysterio is oh. at so many things. Oh my god. Because the the kids over. Like, oh. this angle is over, the judgment day over. Like it Rimis- says something that when they finally came in. Yeah, the noise picked up, I, and, and like, and I would say picked up would be an understatement. Like, I think like the heat all of a sudden was through the roof. The relief and, was through the roof. Relief, maybe a little bit, but like there was a the fact that something was happening was through the roof. There was just as opposed to nothing except funny acting. The judgment day had arrived. I certainly felt relieved when Mammy came out. Oh my god! Thank you for that because like recently, without you, when he does that, I have to drop this water bottle, and I'm worried it's going to smash the table. Good dong. It's a lot of electrics as well, Randy. Just a series of years. Rey Mysterio doing the running, like the heat through the roof because it's like, right, now we're going to finally see if Rey has to make the choice and finally batter his son. Finally something's happening. And he, yeah. And he still won't do it. And then Dominic absolutely batters him, which I didn't see coming. I thought they were going to like make you wait a little bit longer for him, just decking him. Michael Cole was incredible on the call, I thought. Livid. Hey, like, we keep going back to that. I keep thinking of the gun club. Like you've nailed something here, Sid. It's like, treat family drama really seriously. Not, yes. the last, not the last shot of a dynamite that's just had a killer trios match. Michael Cole did it. Like, this was a super effective. A son is beating up his father because he's hanging out with some goths now. Incredible. Absolutely Shut incredible. Up, Shut up, Dad. I'm going to clean my room with these dark beanbag goths. <laughs> Go off, Mom. <laughs> I think I'm going to cosplay as Dominic Mysterio at Halloween. I love him that much. Get in. I, like, I want to see a bit. It's like, are you going to like slick back your own hair? Yeah. You're going to grow it out just enough to slick it back? I'll get a wig. It, <laughs> it, it may be necessary just to pull off the, how to get the look. <laughs> I thought this was, yeah, so pain. this, I'm in pain. This angle does not work unless it's hot. It simply does not work. It's cliched, cheesy, WWE nonsense that you've seen a million times unless the crowd are going ballistic for it. And from Raw to Raw to premium live event, they are going ballistic for it. We were in the building, Sige, when uh, Dominic was there. We were in the building. White hot stuff when he kicks him in the balls. And then to get the reversal of that, white hot yet again, Dominic Mysterio finally getting one in the dick and balls, which he was owed from last month. Rey Mysterio lying there dead on the ground at the hands of his own son. Damien Priest suddenly realizing, hang on, am I in the NWO now? This is awesome. <laughs> like, so he was just like having the time of his life out there. Finn Balor, like, I, I'm not a big fan of, um, I, was, I was never in when he was NXT champion. Ah, screaming Finn Balor, hard-ass match guy. Not into it all. Suddenly when he realised he can just camp it up and be a cartoon villain when all, when all the boys are out there and they're just decking him. Best. I loved the bit where I was like, oh, cool, I think Edge is going to die from internal bleeding because he just kept going, coup de gras, yeah. coup de gras again, coup de gras. Handcuffs are super, super dramatic when used right in wrestling. They always have been and they always will be. This mm. was absolutely tremendous. Don't press the Especially Omega. Mammy with handcuffs. Don't press oh the Omega God. button for Mammy with handcuffs. Thank you, Sid. 
Beth Phoenix with the single greatest instincts of her professional wrestling career, and maybe what does that say about some of it, but just holding her and Rhea off until the moment when the crowd came up, and my God, did they come up. They shot it really well as well, so you could see the fans wanted this. WWE sometimes can make something feel like it's the dream match that everybody asked for. When they fake it, when it is Cena and Orton, it's not real. But all of a sudden, Rhea and Beth, you're looking at it like, oh, yeah, they kind of are equivalents of their eras. So they have this cool brawl finish. Wasn't quite what you pitched, but it was yeah, as good I'll as, take it. if not better, is this idea that Edge wouldn't quit physically, well, even when he's brawling in the crowd with a hockey stick. Like, they're <laughs> rubbish. But the equivalent of, like, sort of the mental game played brilliantly. I was looking at this, and all of a sudden, is this going to be, is AJ going to join the baby faces, and you're going to have mm. a four-on-four four with the women at Survivor Series? Maybe. That's pretty cool, too. Uh, I think the Judgment Day like, might be Triple H's greatest achievement thus far. Genuinely, like, yeah. people can praise different things, and Sidgwick won't praise much of it, but those noises are speaking for themselves. I always think of Darby Allen, right? The laughter. Darby Allen has been one of the most popular wrestlers in AEW, and I've not liked much of it, but when he's hot, crowds go ballistic for that guy. So not all wrestling is for me. I, like, I'm a 37-year-old white guy. Not all wrestling is for me. I guess we'll come to that later on as well with The Fiend. Nor does it have to be. The judgment they aren't for me, and yet they kind of are because I'm just, like, I'm completely drawn in by hot crowds. One more thing. Will someone, and the fact that it hasn't happened yet is obviously more than telling, can someone please just give Edge an acting gig? Like, it's what he wants to do. <laughs> it's clearly what he wants to do, and I'm so, I kind of, I've got a love-hate relationship with it where I love mocking it, but, oh my God, he just wants to do something else with his life. He did Vikings, didn't he, when he was in retirement? Mm, he was yeah. in it. Oh, he's tried. Also, Rhea Ripley's so badass that when she, like, laid out Beth Phoenix with the brass knocks, I didn't think, oh, she's got brass knocks. I just thought, oh, she just hit her so hard. hard. She yeah. KO'd her. And, yeah, I also, like I say, I thought I'd book the perfect finish with the whole, oh, I'm going to mask your da- uh, my, my own dad or whatever. And I That's still I'd, in the back pocket now yeah. as well. Like, and I still thought that was where it was heading because he just went... No, there's no salt on me now. I'm just going to murder my own dad <laughs> for the cause. Um, but I love just, I'm going to cave your wife's skull in. You said there's nothing we could do physically to you to make you say I quit. But if I smash your wife's head in, it will. And he's like, oh, for, all right, I quit. And Rhea Ripley goes, we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> like, yes, this is great. I love that finish. Uh, but like you say, didn't need to take... 29 minutes and 55 oh, seconds to get there. Uh, let's move on to the main event, or at least in match-wise, the main event. The Fight Pit DC special guest referee, Matt Riddle versus Seth Freakin' Ramos. What do you think of this, Hamlet? Not great. Um, a real disappointment. I blame, again, Triple H in this card for some of it because you should not be opening the Fight Pit, the end of a blood feud, something that people have earnestly really wanted with, like, hearing chants of We Want Wyatt. So the structure in this card feels wrong. Did you not, like, maybe in hindsight was it, would it have been smarter? If, considering that he wasn't doing anything with anyone, could you have not just had the Wade Rabbit end before the main event or give people a bit of a palate cleanser between all these goddamn long matches, whatever it was, that felt like a failing of Triple H. The Gritty Booker. squash match? The... Fight Pit was um, never, I didn't think anyway, was never used enough to feel anywhere near the senior structure it was in NXT. I genuinely felt going into this, the attempt here was to create the Fight Pit as something, right, you've killed Hell in a Cell, you've killed a steel cage, well, like, make a new one. And you might actually have one because people like the stipulation. It looks cool. It looks quite unique as well. And there's a lot of wrestlers that it can favour. 
And I didn't get any of that from this. Uh, Cormier didn't feel like he knew the rules. And then I was like, do I know the rules? Yeah. Like, what are we doing here? Pin, pinfall, submission, knockout, and 10 count? Like, Cormier... Like, I'm sure that there was a lot of instruction about what it was that he was supposed to be like doing. Like, two last man standing adjacent matches yeah. on one show. I, I felt like I was watching him, like, book his own angles with people, even if that was all playing out exactly as I did like that, to. though, because I did buy it. Him going, don't touch me. And yeah. I was like, yeah. If he said that to you, you'd buy it. Well, yeah, right. But I just it just didn't feel like... Turns out that he wasn't the right guy for this match after all. Mm. There was another time and a place for that kind of stuff to be going on, and it wasn't here. Um, I don't want to trample on a very good point Cedric made. So, out. so I won't mention this, but what I will say is that the... I know, because I think you made like a great point, but I, what I will say in terms of the finish, like it is a testament to Bray Wyatt like and how much buzz there was around him that that thing isn't being talked about because that is one of the most scariest things I think I've ever seen. Oh. Like, I'm not... like I don't mean to sound like I'm overstating it. That is one of the scariest things I've ever seen. So it looks like Riddle slips. I don't know if he does or not. But then if he is slipping, as an athlete, he's obviously thinking, can I control my trajectory? Well, better to land on Seth so it doesn't expose it, but also... I can't control how I'm going to like This is like 10 Jeff Hardy 2022 Swansons all at the same time. I don't know how Seth's like... And then the match has to go on and he's got to work to the finish, which felt like they it didn't was, even sell it. Well, it felt like it was race two. But then I'm thinking, well, if it's race two because Seth's injured, how is it that he's just up and selling? So I'm not sure if the finish was rushed because it felt rushed. Didn't feel like... I know they try to do an MMA thing where it's like, uh, it's, this is how it can end. It can just end. I'd... Oh, it was a massive, massive letdown this was. Um, and again, a bit like the ladder match, I feel like there was a little bit of fault that you could be apportioned to everybody involved. But that bump, oh like my that God. splat was scary stuff. The thing you don't want to do when you are really excited in the moment or feeling various different things, like excitement or fear or whatever, is think about it. That just completely ruins the buzz. All I can think about during a pretty well-worked sequence at the top so if you've not seen it, it's like it's regulation steel cage with no ropes. So one of the few cool things in the match you can facilitate, like um, you'll know the name of the MMA fighter who does the kick where... Benson Henderson, I loved that Benson spot. Henderson where you'd um, jump onto the cage with your foot and then launch off with the same foot, which as it's coming off the cage wall hits the guy in the face. So that was one of the few... Oh, I'm, work, I'm watching something different than a wrestling match mm. spot, which is what this should have functioned to do. Um, so they, so there's a standard regulation cage. There's a platform at the top, which itself is covered by a cage, but nothing counts up there. So why would you go up there? Why would you go up there if you can't win the match? And it's so contrived, and it's so stupid, and it takes away from the very tone you're trying to engineer here, which is this is the legitimate match on the wrestling show. That in itself is kind of an issue, but you go along with it. And then they do this sequence where you think one missed bump here because it is like a buckle bomb mm. does Seth um, on this platform against this um, cage wall that is shorter than the opponent. And you're thinking, bloody hell, that's risky. Takes a lot of craft to put off. It's so well performed and it's so bold that you're worried about the health of the performance, which you should be in a match like this. But all I could keep thinking was, why you're up there? If Michael Cole, like an idiot, so overrated, is incessantly shouting, nothing counts up there, nothing counts up there. It's like, why, why are you up there then? Why are you up there? Oh, you're up there to facilitate what is now the mandatory big stunt you have to do in this match. So it's basically like Hell in a Cell. It's basically this gimmick that just doesn't work in and of itself anymore. And it's been what, this is the third match they've ever done. So that annoyed me. Um, one more point. They did that ridiculous spot, terrifying with Riddle, 
that Michael Cole does call correctly. So yeah, he's overrated, as I said. Say floating bro. Yeah, floating bro gets Break the name on. of the Break goddamn on. name wrong. Um, so that's bad. And then instantly, pretty much instantly, Seth Rollins pops up to powerbomb Riddle against the cage. It's sold as the last thing that the scoundrel can do because he's trapped in a triangle the whole time. But he's still got it in him to find the wind that was blown out of him yeah. to do this. So that's stupid. It's just don't do really overtly unrealistic things in the match that you're trying to sell is realistic to me. Just ruined the whole vibe for me. I don't think the match is particularly great going into it. One more thing before we get to the goddamn fiend is that is Seth Rollins too good at attire? And is he, <laughs> honestly, is he, I don't want to say selfish, is he being not particularly clever in terms of the portrayal of his character, the constant way that he's trying to conduct the crowd to sing a song? This is the second of the pretty stark heel versus babyface grudge program, and the second match of it where the audience reaction is 50-50 because either Seth's leading the sing-along and you know the character's quite entertaining, the RVD gear was too good. Was what you've done good. here is you've tried to say, you're just, I'm going to embody the better stoner guy in <laughs> his... Both high flyers, lads. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to embody the cooler... In Philly as well. In the Philly. Extreme version the extreme of you. extreme version of you, the cooler version of you, and the more iconic version of you. I'm going to embody him. It's a taunt to say that you're not that good. I can embody someone who's better than you. And the crowd were like, oh, yeah, RVD stuff. It's if you're wrestling Seth, Seth freaking Rollins at the points is good. Like Seth freaking Rollins, I, I like that. That's I think it's still like yeah, I like it, and I yeah. shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. I think if if you're working Rollins at this point, you're probably thinking, "Oh, hey, mate, you're not really giving us much to work with here." Let's get to the food. I'm gonna have to tear my peck in the gym to yeah, no, baby face. Yes. Uh, so yes, uh, uh, Riddle's there with Cormier raising his hand, celebrating, and the, the little thing comes in on the corner. Then all of a sudden it happens, the lights go out, and Cole's there as a sigil who's we still on, guys? We still here, we still on the air. And it begins. And I, I realize that it's an incredibly subjective thing. I think if you aren't a fan of, of Bray Wyatt and all of his gimmicks, then this is gonna be taken one way. And if you're the people that I've seen on Twitter, you're gonna say it's a masterpiece. I think I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm not all in on the fiend, but I think and I said this on the news, and it's the lowest bar, as Andy pointed out. They executed something they set out to do, and and I, I want them to do more of that, so I'm going to give them credit for that. I'm, and I'm just so happy that Bray Wyatt's back, and I'm massively into what happens next. Yeah, you said masterpiece there. I think this is a masterpiece. I absolutely can't be arsed with in about three weeks' time. What a masterpiece. I, 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 that was an absolutely humongous, like enormous, like it speaks for itself, that moment. And the people in the building are not just... Idiots with fiend avatars online, right? They're not. They're like they're there for feeling like they're part of something very special. It definitely speaks to how successful the build was. You know, the viral campaign has worked to a T. Like super hyped for whatever bollocks we were going to get last week, and it was bollocks. This is the thing. Like everything we got was bollocks. All of these characters stood in different bit of the building. Total bollocks. They looked ridiculous. Bin bag fiend was amazing. <laughs> it was like, so vibing good. on the, like, the front row. Like I, I said to I said to Andy, the, the, I loved the. Oh my god, it's a. Fiend, he looks crap. Yeah. <laughs> it's I compared it onto it a money in the bank doink, just in a different context. Yes. Like that was and like those two characters have been compared enough as it is for one lifetime. Um and then like so you get this fiend that everybody just and another monster pop, a pop on top of the pop that they already know it's happening, right? 
And then, so you've got this, like, huge pop for The Fiend. And then, like, the old Bray Wyatt comes out as if to sort of imply, oh, fuck The Fiend. Like, no, no, I'm not The Fiend anymore. That's gone. i got my lantern back. I've not got my own head in a lantern now. Um, I, this character will never be for me, but I guess to, like, sort of repeat a take, not everything has to be for me, but it's clearly for so many people. This was the most... I, I considered this, like, a kind of a best-case scenario for how this character could go. Uh, what else did I really like about it? The... The fact that, like, the fact that obviously you could tell by the end of the night you weren't going to get anything of it, they achieved the maximum from the minimum, and it didn't feel like a rip-off, and that's a hard balance to strike. He pulls the mask up, like his new mask, whatever it is, to reveal his face, and then you pretty the much... The black phone? I was just Googling what it alluded, oh, it seems to allude to. The more, yes, I've read that already. More reason, more reading I've got to do, obviously. Already. The house of black phone. Like, I've got to do some more reading, obviously. <laughs> but in terms of... So you've got no angle, you've got no obvious opponent, you've got no yet tease of the Indium Six, even though everybody's already done the fantasy booking, you literally just got his reveal of his face, and yet it didn't feel, to me at least, like you were being ripped off. It's like, I came for Fiend, and I got enough of my stupid Bray Wyatt Fiend. None of this. The second the goddamn bell rings, none of it will ever feel as good as all these people want it to feel, and I'd... Do I enjoy being a dickhead on a podcast saying I don't think I do, because for one night, this was everything people wanted, and then some, and, like, who am I to, like, take the fun away from them, because it did feel fun. They made me want to be in a building for the goddamn fiend, and that's not going to happen very often, and they got it here. And I re- I was genuinely invested in this so much so that, I, like, the morning after the wedding, someone said to me, see what happened in Extreme Rules? I was like, no, 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 no don't tell yeah. me. I don't, I don't want to know anything. I don't want I'd have been devastated if this was spoiled for me. I, like, honestly, to watch, devastated. I, to watch it happen. Yeah, for I the, genuinely... For yeah. the noise and the reaction and the, like, I didn't get goosebumps, but I like watching a lot of people getting them. So it was like, I, I got a lot out of this. Right. Here's what I'm going to say. I've got a few points to make. I'll try and make them each brief, right? I'm not a goldfish. I endured so many Fiend matches and before that Bray Wyatt matches. And I cannot simply get on board with the idea that he does one return and he's suddenly this absolute megastar and everyone's absolutely ripping it off at the sight of him. It will fail again. Exactly. I know this. So I've just, I want to feel vindicated for feeling nothing for this. People are obsessed with the idea of Bray Wyatt. Absolutely obsessed. And look, Triple H has got a far better chance of manifesting and maintaining this great idea than Vince McMahon ever did. And I think that is cause for a lot of the optimism here. The whole point is, it's Bray, oh, without Vince ruining it. So maybe he will be a star. Maybe it will be the single biggest indictment of what Vince McMahon ever tried to book and failed at. But uh, honestly, right, I thought this was a fairly terrible um, version of something I don't like, as opposed to a pretty damn good version of something I don't like, which was, for example, the Fiend entrance at SummerSlam 2019. It was fantastic. That music sounded legitimately scary. The presentation of the character, the production, Finn Balor's selling of it. I thought, I'm not particularly scared of this, but I can buy Finn Balor being scared of it. I really, truly can. And the presentation and the discordant music and the fact that it was so... It was like a really demented version of the great Pixies, quiet, loud, dynamic, like really well done. That was a very well produced and good and effective version of something I'm just not, I didn't think this was good. I looked at The Fiend in the front row and thought, are you joking? This is tripe. This looks, I'm trying to determine whether it's meant to look bad, Mm. whether it's meant to be, oh, that's, you know, during the original vignette, and this says so much as well. 
In the original Firefly Funhouse vignette, there is a picture of the version of Bray Wyatt that was bad. Leather smock. Basically, what horror film have you seen this week, creative writer? Make Bray Wyatt that. That's still happening, by the way. Yeah. 100%. Didn't look, but we've just seen the mask. Yeah. Didn't look in particularly great shape. And this new ripped Wyatt had a chainsaw and said, you'll never see this disgusting slob loser ever again. We did, because there's no such thing as the law. But regardless, (laughs) the intention was to disassociate the audience from that version of Bray Wyatt. Right. The version of Bray Wyatt from which we were disassociated is back, and now we are told to disassociate ourselves from the fiend. That was rubbish. It's like, you cannot insult my intelligence like this. You cannot do it. I will not fall for it. I will give it a chance, even though I don't like it, right? I just thought, these people dressed up as the Firefly Funhouse puppets come to life, it looks terrible. So bad, in fact, that I, I find that unforgivable, because at least the fiend... And it's hard to remember this earnestly. It did look great. It looked like a star act. These puppets come to life look stupid. There's a fiend with, I think, plastic dreadlocks attached to the mask. <laughs> what, like, is it meant to be bad? Is it meant to be Is it meant to be the thing of, oh, remember all this crap you remember about Bray Wyatt? Well, forget about that. He's got a new mask now, guys. Or was it all big part of a big picture that you're meant to think is all good? Well, the fiend looked crap. This cosplay fiend... I saw someone who looked like this legitimately with a belt in tow, just having a nice time on the way to Clash at the Castle, dressing as one of his favorite wrestlers. I wasn't scared of him. Why should I be scared of this? (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to understand. There are so many people in this audience who are going crazy. And I tell you what, I know I've got this uh, thing, a a, a grudge against Reddit and certain things of wrestling Twitter. People need to calm down. The cinematic masterpiece is the best thing I've ever seen. This is absolute perfection. You sound like an asshole. Oh, just watch other stuff, man. You you can like this and actually just watch films if you want. You sound like an asshole when you say this kind of thing. It is so cringe. And I'm like quite earnest on Twitter. And I read tweets saying, you know, you're meant to be the cool, sarcastic, detached guy on this platform. And I'll read some of my old tweets and think, oh, God, you are too earnest. (laughs) So for me to say this, it's like you're embarrassing yourselves on Reddit saying all this stuff. You can enjoy it. Don't talk about it. Like John Carpenter's directed this. (laughs) There are levels to this kind of horror. But in a bid to understand all this, I wrote a very sincere tweet. I am trying to get it. Right. Were you physically, did you have any physical sensation of fear during this Bray Wyatt entrance? Because the idea is, he's the horror monster wrestler who isn't good at wrestling and isn't particularly scary. So what is he? What is he? So are you scared? Are you scared of Bray Wyatt? Did you have like, an uneasy feeling or were you outright terrified? Because that's what it's been to be. Virtually every single comment. And thank you. And I'm not going to take the piss out of you, but thank you, because a lot of people said, I found it a bit creepy, not scared. Mm. No, like Not a single person was scared of this. And they said, that's not the point. The iconography, the cool iconography is meant to be the point. In about 12 hours from now, mm-hmm. there's going to probably be a baby face selling fear for this guy. It's meant to be scary, and it's not scary. Like, tell me when I'm telling lies here. I watched Minoru Suzuki in a match. If I don't think he's a credible submission killer who can really hurt you and really hurt you, I feel nothing in the in the in the story and the character makes no sense whatsoever and the, the persona means nothing. If I can't take Bray Wyatt seriously as a scary guy who scares other wrestlers and this is gonna hinge on every single story he does after the fact, how's it good? How's it credible? Ultimately, this is going to take a miracle to work. 
and I'm going to stand and laugh when it doesn't. He's Triple H has given himself like initially it's just empty superficial bollocks, yeah. and that's all it bloody is. He's Give gi- me a goddamn break. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, the fiend's in his throat. To Cedric's point there. Like, the Fiend, like, Bray Wyatt will make a ton of money straight away. Yeah. Of course he will. Like, he's proven that with, like, ticket sales. There's, like, the great SmackDown number for the first White Rabbit tees and the merch and all the rest of it. Like, for a while, he's going to do very well. Um, Triple H has gifted himself a ton of money from just bringing him back, but has given himself clearly one of the toughest puzzles to solve in mm. wrestling because, like, all Cedric's done there is, like, like pose a series of f- reasonable questions. Like, Bray Wyatt comes out. Let's say, like, the lights come on and Bray Wyatt is in the ring there with his lantern, right? We always Seth Rollins was meant to be scared of him in we 2019. Always, we always he had to turn heel because <laughs> it was so pathetic that he had to do that. There is one baby face we used to go to in Steve Austin. There is thankfully now a better one we can go to in John Moxley. John Moxley stares, yes. John Moxley stares at that and he drills him in the head with a paradigm shift and wins. Right? So like what the challenge Triple H has given himself as a booker here is to somehow like use John Moxley as the guy. So imagine this Bray Wyatt character. How do I make Bray Wyatt a threat to John Moxley? And you have to start all the way back there. That's not me answering the question, by the way. That's like right mm. now. What are the twelve steps, let's say, to making Bray Wyatt somebody that like John Moxley fears? Maybe not fears. That's the wrong word. But like somebody that he thinks that his title's under pressure mm. against when he's fighting him. Because that's the job. That is the job of this character. Beyond the merch and beyond how much fun we can have with it. And w- truthfully, like we've had a lot of fun with it over the years because it was really easy to take the piss out of. But it's there. So where our archives, where ACAS haven't nuked them, you will find things like the Firefly Funhouse match, or you will find the SummerSlam introduction of, or like the original few Firefly Funhouse vignettes, whatever, where it's like, right, they have made me buy into this, making sense within the context of pro wrestling, and so often that fell away instantly. So, like, Triple H is accepting a challenge here. He's not just bringing a guy back for a few easy paydays. He's accepting a challenge of making this work. Mm. And I completely, I had a whale of a time watching this. But I completely understand Cedric's cynicism. Of, I, like, but now, like, prove me wrong, Paul, because nobody has yeah. ever managed it, Bray himself included. Yeah. Nevertheless, I I love this as an ending to Extreme Rules, and I watched that and thought, uh, how many times can you say this? Oh, my God, I can't wait for Monday Night Raw. I want to see what happens next. Like you say, I've got all the apprehensions that you two have both laid out there, but there's a monster, there's a they, monster they number. Summit executed it, and they went right. And now you're going to want to watch TV to see what happens next. I don't think he will be on Raw because I think they will advertise him. There is a monster number awaiting the next thing Bray Wyatt does, mm. and I think they're like, if nothing else, like so night one, they've not given you everything and been like, well, the buzz is finished now. I think mm. there's there's more. There's another number to get from Bray Wyatt being on television again or getting a little bit more of his face or whatever, however it is they decide to roll it out. Uh, well, let's let, let us know your thoughts on Extreme Rules and the return of Bray Wyatt on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. You watch, they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamlet at... Michael Hamlet. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... Emma Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE and make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from. For daily wrestling podcasts, we'll be talking probably more about Bray Wyatt on the Raw preview coming later on today. And in a short while, myself and Sidgwick will be reviewing AW Rampage Battle of Bills. Bills. Uh, <laughs> In just a short while, too. But for now, this has been the Extreme Rules Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1.
only from Rustolium. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.